0: This morning's scripture is Acts chapter four verses thirty one through thirty three If you could please stand for the reading of God's word. After they prayed, the place where they were was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All believer, all the believers, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. The word of the Lord.
1: A number of you were here uh, Friday and yesterday as um, Nathan Covington, in case you don't know who he is, uh, shared with us um, insight into the Word of God about prayer. I needed this. You know, I think about um, where Paul talks about the Word and, you know, for correct Correction and admonition and rebuke and training and righteousness, I think I got all that I got all that and I'm hungry for more I'm hungry for more um, you know this isn't the first time we've had Nathan and probably won't be the last time I hope anyway and uh, thank you for your faithfulness and thank you for the your obedience to the Voice of the Holy Spirit and how he's taken you into the word and you have shared that with us, which is what God's called us to do. Amen. Yeah. When he gives us insight and understanding, we're supposed to share it with others. And you have done that so well. And may God bless you as you share with us again this morning.
2: Are two buttons. <laughs> Thank you so much for letting me come. <clears throat> uh, you're such a wonderful body of believers. Your hospitality is just always so gracious. And the motel room where I've stayed this weekend is just a delightful place to be and to pray and to talk to God about what I should share with you. And it's just a real privilege to be with Pastor Sid and Julie. Um, There's just kind of a oneness of spirit when I'm with them. They just, um, they warm my heart and they make me glad I'm a believer (laughs) and that our paths have crossed. Um, And I'm getting, you know, each time I get a little better acquainted with all of you out there. And uh, that's a joy. Some of this is just a foretaste of what it will be like when we're all in eternity and the fellowship and the camaraderie and the joint efforts, the things that we'll do together. Uh, What an incredible plan of redemption our God has put together for us. I was saying to those yesterday, it's so much more, folks, than streets of gold and mansions and... Those will absolutely, if they're there, they will pale into insignificance in comparison to the things that God will have us do with him and in cooperation with him. We're destined to rule and reign this universe from this planet. So the scripture was read for us. Let me just get right into it. After they prayed, what happened? What took place? Did anything meaningful happen? Were the skies as black as they had been? Was the earth still barren and dry? Or was there a blessed baptism? of rain what happened after they prayed well if nothing meaningful took the place then, then I would not wonder if these early Christians just quit praying I mean I think they were practical like you and I uh, you know if we don't get something out of something we don't usually hang around that and continue to do that or be there or Whatever. And so I have a feeling, if nothing really happened back then, then they just probably nudged prayer to the edge. Now, I'm sure they were spiritual enough to continue to put it into the bulletin. (laughs) But nobody paid any real attention to it. And if nothing takes place today when men and women pray, then we should not be surprised that so few really pray, and I'm not. Being accusatory when I say that, it's just the surveys have been taken and for the most part, believers do not spend any serious amount of time in prayer. This is a busy age and we are we are hurried and we're burdened down with much serving. And so if prayer doesn't really help, if if it doesn't bring about results, then naturally it would hardly be fair to expect us to be men and women and to take some serious amount of time out of our very, very busy lives and channel that. In the direction of prayer. But what I want to remind you out of this passage of scripture is is that prayer brought results then and it still does. And I shared with you this weekend from out of the journey that God took me and, and my last pastorate on over a two year period to teach us and to inspire us and to help us become warriors for King Jesus. Because we are in a war. You see, after they prayed that, that's when all the great spiritual strides that have ever happened in history took place. When I was in college, working on my master's degree, I had, one semester I had a class called Readings. And they called it that because they assigned a subject matter to you. And you were responsible for reading everything you could find on that particular subject matter and writing reports and things about it and the assignment they gave to me was on all the great revivals that have ever happened in history. I guess I should have known God was going to call me to be an evangelist way back then. What I discovered was in my reading over that semester, every great spiritual awakening that has ever happened in history started in a prayer meeting. And sometimes there were not more than two people in the beginning. Now that ought to tell us something about what could happen in our generation if just a couple of us began to earnestly believe God. And you see, that's the hour when all great revivals have happened. It's when people have prayed that significant things have happened. And in the story that's related here in our Bibles, which was read to us, it, it's not a theory about what could happen or might happen. It's an actual eyewitness account of what took place. And what excites me about that is, is that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so... If you as a body of believers begin to put into practice the things we've talked about this weekend and do it with a little more intensity and and what's more important with understanding of why you're doing what you're doing. Then the same thing can happen here. That happened in the book of Acts. And so I want us to look at what happened. I mean, what will your church like look like, begin to look like over the next three, four, five, six months? If you begin to pray... Like this. Well, the first thing I noticed is, is that, that I put this up here because I didn't know he was going to be so nice to read it. The first thing I noticed, and I'm going to list all these, but not necessarily in the chronological order in which they are in the Scriptures, but first I noticed that they were all filled with the Spirit. Now, keep in mind, when Luke, who's writing this book, tells us this, It's only been a little while before where they experienced what we call Pentecost. The birth of the church. The Holy Spirit fell on all those in the upper room, 120 of them. But already, by the time you get to chapter 4, the pressure of the world, the situation that they're living in, The seriousness of the hour demanded that they have another fresh new anointing. Now, I don't mean they got sanctified or filled with the Spirit or or, or the baptism of the Spirit, whatever term you want to do that. I'm just telling that when you live life and when you're a Christian and, and, and we're in a war and we have adversaries and enemies and we have challenges... The oil splashes out of you, you're giving out, you're ministering, you're doing, you're praying, you're working. And every now and then we have to come back and say to God, give me a fresh new anointing and baptism with the Holy Spirit. And these people were filled with the Holy Spirit in answer to prayer. His personal presence was needed in order to enable them to meet the situation that they were in. And this same Spirit is needed by the church today. It's not simply one of the needs of the church. It's the supreme need. We've been forced to realize again and again the truth of the Scripture when it says it's not by might or by power. It's by my Spirit, says the Lord Almighty. And we might as well face the fact today that the church of Jesus Christ as a whole is not claiming its spiritual birthright. I'm sure that if the Apostle Paul were to come into some of our churches, like he did that little church at Ephesus so many centuries ago, and ask the same question that he asked then, namely, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? This little group of people had set themselves apart from the seething tide in that great and wicked city, uh, but when he came to the service, he found something lacking. I mean, I mean, they had the ritual and everything, but, but there was no power. There was no anointing. There was no glow. There was no enthusiasm. And so Paul said to them, did, did you not receive the Holy Spirit after you got saved? And you see, many of us are just where they were. We're not the spiritual power that we might be. It's one of the reasons I'm sure that so many strange doctrines have been able to make progress in the world today. Men and women have left our altars sometimes because the fires have gone out for them. And just as it's true that there's nothing in the world so fascinating as a church that's alive with the Spirit of God, there's nothing so depressing as the dead church just going through the motions. Paul talked about that in in the New Testament church, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. My brother who's four years older than me was away from God for 30 years. And when God won him back in answer to our prayers, I don't know whenever I have seen the Holy Spirit accelerate somebody's spiritual growth like he did my brother. Of course, We grew up in the church. And so God had a foundation to work from. But he said to me one day, in in the enthusiasm and the... And he wasn't trying to be cute or clever. But in, in the joy of his newfound faith in God, he said to me, Nathan, I want to be so full of the Holy Spirit that when I wake up in the morning, the devil says, Oh no, he's awake again. And I think that's really how it ought to be. The gates of hell are supposed to be trembling, not us. God has given us authority and power. We're, in, we're an invading army in this enemy territory. Lucifer is the prince of this world. Satan is the ruler of this world. But God has called us to, be, to make an invasion into this world. We're an army. And he's given us resources. The way some of us moan and groan and carry on, you'd think God asked us to attack the fires of hell with a water pistol. <laughs> We've been given a whole fire department. We have authority. Jesus said, I give you authority. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine because I won it with my blood. Now I'm giving it to you. You're my representative. And if you're listening, I'll prompt you through the Holy Spirit, and you and I will work together, and in this wonderful relationship, we'll tear down strongholds, and we'll deal with every vain imagination that sets itself up against God, and we'll bring every thought into obedience to Jesus Christ. He's Lord. But the truth is, many of us are where they were. They, they say, we haven't even so much as heard whether there be a Holy Ghost. Well, I know that you've heard because Pastor Sid preaches about that so we can't say we haven't heard the question is have we experienced and the good news is This is what we all can become. I mean, there was a time when this experience was only for an elite few, but the Apostle Peter, you remember, preaching on the day of Pentecost to that crowd, said, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, all whom the Lord our God will call. I believe that God is as ready today to pour His Spirit out on the church, on the body of believers, on everybody of believers, as He has ever been in any time in history when He did that. It's always when it's dark that God shines the light, because the light stands out against the darkness. And this power is waiting to come upon the church and on the individual in in answer to prayer. And then I notice it says that they spoke the word of God, with boldness. In other words, they received new courage. Prayer will bring that same kind of result today. Do you need courage? I mean, do you ever get surprised and pained at your own cowardice? At your own lack of boldness? I know there have been times when I've been ashamed of my own timidity and my own weakness. And you could probably tell me the same story. I remember in. In my second pastor, I got a phone call one day that all pastors just love to get. This lady called me and she said, Pastor, over here in the housing development where I live, there's a couple. Uh, the, the husband has been diagnosed with uh, pretty intense severe cancer. I don't think they've ever, ever been to church. I don't, I'm not even sure they would let you in. But, if, but would you try to come over and knock on the door and see if they would? Now, what I wanted to say to her was, you're their neighbor, they'll let you in. You go talk to them. But you see, we don't talk about this, but when we call our pastors, it's in the fine print of the contract. (laughs) That they're our soul winner. Of course, Ephesians 4.29 says, then he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists. And some pastor teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry. You know who the ministers of this church really are supposed to be? Pastor Sid, the equipper. You're calling him by the wrong name. I've been here this week to equip you to do the work. Because that's what the Bible says you're supposed to be doing. Okay? But, since it was in the fine print of my contract... It was 1972, and I had just recently purchased an Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser station wagon. Now, you younger generation, you don't have a clue what that looks like. But it was a station wagon, it had glass down the side and a glass dome in the top. I bought it to haul kids in Sunday, to Sunday school, and its color was sunfire yellow. Now, it was everything that name implied. And the kids all loved to sit in the second seat when it rained because they could see the the rain coming down. And when I was in college, I worked with a wonderful man by the name of Paul McGrady. Paul McGrady was an, an incredible evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene whose life was taken earlier along with the Collegiate Quartet from Southern Nazarene University many years ago. And we would go out on weekends and knock on doors. And we had, and he had developed what we call these little door openers. When, when you would knock on the door and somebody would open the door, you would give them this little speech. Cause what we were out there doing was knocking on doors, trying to find new prospects for a church. And, and we would go on a Friday and we would sleep on the church benches. And then Saturday morning, we would, hang sheetrock or tape the sheetrock if somebody else had already hung the sheetrock or we would paint the sheetrock that was already taped and bedded. And then in the afternoon, we'd go out knocking on doors and we'd have a special service on Sunday morning. And so we would invite them to this special service. And he had these little door openers or four or five of them. And so I get in my car and I think, I'll try to think of one of those door openers. Well, I get over there and I find the address and my brain is fried. I can't think of one of those. Door open So I thought, well, I'll go around the block. So I went around the block. And I'm trying to ask the Lord, help, help me think of one of these things. And nothing. Only the thing, only thing driving around the block did was it just made my palms more sweaty. And my underarms too. <clears throat> and so I thought, well, I'll go around a second time. So I ran around a second time. Same result. And I started around the third time and the Holy Spirit said to me, Nathan, do you realize how conspicuous Sunfire Yellow Station wagons are? <laughs> Somebody's going to stop you and ask you, are you lost or what? I said, no, I'm not lost, Lord. I'm trying to remember one of those things Dr. McGrady taught us and I can't remember it. And I need some help. And he said, well, do everything that you can do. I said, I'm doing everything I could do. He said, no, you could park the car and get out. <laughs> I said, I don't know if I can my knees are knocking together he said try me Nathan so I got out of the car and I go up to the door I didn't have to knock I just held my hand up there and it was trembling so bad it rattled the door (laughs) and this lady came to the door and I stepped back like you're supposed to you know and she looked at me you know she doesn't know me from Adam she said can I help you I said, well, ma'am, I'm Pastor Covington from the Church of Nazarene. And I said, one of my ladies called me and I understand that your husband is not well. And I just came by to see if there was anything that I could maybe do for you all, maybe. And she just burst into tears. And she said, oh, thank God. She said, my husband and I have never, ever been to church. And we didn't know whether there really was a God or not. But she said, we held hands at the breakfast nook today and said, looked up and said, if you're really up there, would you send somebody by who knows how to pray? And then she said, would you like to come in? Oh, would I like to come in? And so I sat around their breakfast nook and talked to them about the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Now, let me say something to you. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the ability to do it in spite of my fear. Our men and women are in Afghanistan and Iraq. They're courageous, but they're facing potential death every day. But they're there in spite of that set of circumstances. And... Sometimes I think the enemy thinks, will we'll whisper to him and say, well, you know, if you was really filled with the Spirit, you, you wouldn't feel like that. <laughs> oh, yes, you would. <laughs> but you see, what will happen is, if you pray and really ask the Lord, he will help you to have courage in spite of your fear. Okay? I'm so aware of the fact that that I've had new courage as a result of prayer. And I've faced tasks that seem to me utterly beyond me. But as I've prayed, I've found myself in the middle of those tasks with a new courage and with an assurance. And and even a, a sense of faith that surprised my own heart. Prayer does give us courage. And then I notice, it says they were all... United. In other words, they are one heart and mind. They were all united. They became a really united people. You see, two people cannot kneel before a common God without coming into closer contact with each other. Real real prayer makes jealousies and bickering and strife and hatred and impossibility. And there was a ton of that in my last pastorate when I first went there. But as we prayed over that two years period, God began to heal all those. Began, and, and then on a Wednesday night, two years into that prayer thing, God just broke in on Wednesday night. God had already called me to be an evangelist by that time. And he would made some promises to me when I went there. And I've been there about eight years by this time. And I hadn't seen those things come true. And so it was in the spring, and, and we were going to have our spring revival, and so I called two of the best evangelists that I was acquainted with in the church, and I thought, it'll happen in revival. But it didn't. And I was so disappointed. And so on Monday, after I saw the evangelist off, I was in my study, and one of the ladies, board member, called, and, and I was talking to her, and I was telling her how disappointed I was, and I thought this would happen, and that would happen, and it didn't. And I hung up the phone and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, I'm grieved with your mouth. He said, I want you to quit telling people what I've done or I haven't done. He said, Nathan, I keep my promises, but your ways are not my ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so are my thoughts and my ways as compared to yours. And I remember when I was a kid... uh, Playing with some neighbor kids One of them used a four letter word I didn't have a clue what it meant But I made the mistake of using it in front of my mother (laughs) Now this would be called child abuse today But she washed my mouth out with soap When God spoke to me I felt like he just washed my mouth out with soap I got down on my knees and repented And the next day I was in my study and one of the leading ladies in the church, I mean, she didn't knock. She just came flying through the door. And it startled me. I looked up from my desk and her face was ashen white. And I called her by name and I said, what's the matter with you? She said, Pastor, I haven't eaten or slept since I went home from revival Sunday night. I said, why? She said, because the Holy Spirit was waiting on me. In my living room, he didn't even let me get my coat off until he began to talk to me about a conversation I had with one of the ladies in the foyer of the church before revival started Wednesday night. And he said to me, that was a very prideful and arrogant statement you made. She said, you're right, Lord, it was. I want you to forgive me. He said, I will when you confess it to the whole church. And she said, Pastor... I can't wait till Sunday I'll be dead I hadn't seen that kind of conviction in probably 20 years and I said well tomorrow night Wednesday night we, we meet for prayer we'll, we'll start there with, with your testimony and we'll see what God does she said well you pray for me so I won't die I'm saying oh you bet I'll pray for you that you won't die <laughs> I want you to do what God's asking you to do I didn't say that to her. I just said that in my head. And so I prayed for her. She came that Wednesday night. And in our prayer time, God had taken us out of the sanctuary on Wednesday night, even though the altar was there. And he had us sitting around long tables in our fellowship hall. And he did that. I began to realize after a while, he did that to build intimacy with us. Closeness. And we started out with 45 or so, but But then it got down to like 27, sometimes 23. Because some of those people didn't want to give up their jealousies and their hatred and their feelings. And God just won't let you pray by your brother, sister, and the Lord week after week after week and hold on to those grudges. He just won't let you do that. Because prayer brings people together. And so I said, we're going to do things a little differently tonight. There's something that somebody needs to share with us. And after she does, you just do whatever God tells you to do. And I looked at her and she's already in tears. And it just so happened that she's sitting on this side of the table right across from the table from that woman she'd spoken to on Wednesday night. And she just poured her heart out to her and apologized. And then she apologized to all of us. She said, I want you to forgive me for being so prideful and so arrogant. And serving on this church board and claiming to be saving and sanctified and having this kind of attitude. And she's just broken. And I said, we're going to forgive her, aren't we? People began to nod their head. And I said, let's pray for her. And so I prayed for her. And as soon as I said, amen, somebody else burst into tears. And for three solid hours, God moved around those tables. People repented. People confessed. People made restitution. And and there was no shock and awe like, oh, I oh, can't believe you did that. The whole attitude was, well, we've sinned. If you can forgive us, we can forgive you. I We lost all track of time. We couldn't believe it when it was finally all over that we'd been there for three hours. In that three hours, I got to see what pastors had wept and fasted and prayed for for 25 years in that church. But it all came out of that two years of praying and nurturing and working and learning the principles of God. And God began to weld us together and heal us. You see, real when we really, really pray... There's a unity. Now, I'm I'm not talking about conformity. I'm talking about unity. Um, My wife and I have been married 51 years. We're unified, but we're not conformed. I tell her sometimes, with tongue-in-cheek on occasion, if both of us are identical, one of us is unnecessary. She just looks at me and smiles and says, Don't worry, it'll never happen. (laughs) In some ways, we're as different as daylight and dark. We just see things different, but we're committed to a relationship. And so there's unity with us. Okay, then I noticed this. They all had a new sense of stewardship. It says, no one claimed that any of his possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. You see, they didn't claim their own possession. They realized they were bought with a price. They realized that, that all that they had, their lands, their houses, their money, their talent, everything had to be put at the disposal of God. And that sense of stewardship is needed by every congregation and by every Christian today. And, and I'm happy to say that many people have already discovered it and lived that kind of a lifestyle. But there are thousands of Christians who cling to an idea of ownership that's absolutely heathenish and completely opposed to the Bible. I was up in Illinois, a good many years ago now, in a small church there. And there was a couple who actually were Methodists. But their bishop had appointed a very liberal pastor to their congregation. He didn't believe in the virgin birth. He, he didn't believe in Jonah and the whale. He didn't believe in, in the Red Sea, rolling back, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, and they just couldn't handle that. And so they would go to Sunday school at their church. They would put their tithe check in the offering plate which happened to be sitting up on the communion table and then they would come over to the church in Nazarene for morning worship service and for Sunday evening. And pastor had been sharing some things with me and he told me how that, that they gave money for paint to paint the Sunday school rooms down in the basement which were dingy and everything and to spruce them all up and, and they bought little chairs all the right height for every group. Now I like to go to the junior class because I can sit in a chair and my feet don't dangle. And so I can appreciate the fact that they bought us right-sized chairs for them. And they noticed that his old car was worn out, and so they bought him a nice used car because he was still in college and driving back and forth for classes and needed to make his pastoral calls. And, and I don't normally pay any attention when the offering plates are passed. And back in those days, we set up on the platform because we didn't have PowerPoint and, and all this And I just noticed that they dropped money in the offering plate every night. And so when that revival was over, I was walking down the middle aisle, shaking hands with people and saying goodbye. And I came to her and I said, Lady, you and your husband are amazement to me. She said, what are you talking about? I said, well, Pastor's been talking out of school a little bit. And he's been telling me the things you've been doing. I said, here you are. Wonderful Methodist, but you're financing God's program through the Church of the Nazarene. So she reaches over and she gets over. And she said, Let me tell you something, little preacher. She said, Do you realize that God blesses some people to make money, but they don't have a clue what to do with it? She said, When my husband and I got married, we, we made a covenant with God that, we would, that he would be our partner. And she said, My husband across the years have been very good at buying old run down farms and we live on them for several years and he refurbishes them and then sells them and she said we learned on some of those farms that if you punched holes in the ground you got this black crude that came up and she said across the years the Holy Spirit would talk to us she said, I'd be having devotion some morning and God would say to me, I'm, here's this little thing I would like for you to do. And she'd say, oh, you know, God, I'm willing, but you, you need to talk to my husband. He's the leader of our family. And she said a couple of weeks would go by and we'd be at breakfast one morning and my husband would say, sweetheart, I, I, I've been thinking about something. And I'd say, oh, what have you been thinking about? She said, there was always what God had talked to me about a couple of weeks before. She said, we'd agree and write the check. And she said, we just did that across the years and we've just had the time of our life making deposits, writing checks, making deposits, writing checks. And then she said, we came to our retirement years and we sold the last farm except for one little small one and we decided that, that, that we'd live on that and that would be our retirement. And she said, it had a little oil well on it, but it, ne- it never ever did anything and so we lived here about three or four months, and she said, I was in prayer one morning, and the Lord said, uh, I would like for you to do this. And she said, well, Lord, you know, we don't have the money we used to have, but but everything we have is yours. But talk to my husband. And so he said a couple of weeks went by, and my husband said, sweetheart, um, I know you're going to be surprised about this, but I think God wants us to do another one of those projects, but I don't know how we're going to do it. She said, well, you know, everything we own is his. So she said, we wrote the check on faith. Not having a clue. She said, that next month, that oil well went bonkers. It pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped. It had never pumped like that. And when we sold the oil off of it, it was for exactly the amount of money for the check that we had written. And we thought, well... That's probably the last one of those. And then she said in the spring, God began to talk to us again. We said, Lord, well, you know, if you if not want to, oh, well, pump, okay, but we, we don't have it. Well, oh, well, she said, didn't pump. But we wrote the check. And when harvest time came, we earned more bushels to the acre on our farm than in any other farm. In the county. She said, we've just had the time of our lives making deposits, writing checks, making deposits. Now, you know, there's not many times that God dares you to put him to a test. But this is one of those. Over in Malachi, he said, bring all the tithe, all my tithe into my storehouse and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out such a blessing. Now, it's not like the TV evangelists say. You give 10, God gives you a 100 back. I mean, if that's the way it was, people would quit playing the stock market and they'd play the church market. (laughs) There are some blessings that God gives to you that you could not buy if you owned all the money in the banks in Longmont. And so, when they had prayed together, there was this brand new sense of stewardship. You say, Brother Covenant Tithing, that's an Old Testament concept. You're right. Would you like to know what the New Testament concept is? 100%. Oh, get me to the Old Testament quick. <laughs> you know, God is saying that That I can finance my program on 10% of how I bless you. And you get to keep 90. Isn't it amazing how big that 10% suddenly looks? If everybody who attends this church gave a tithe, gave 10% of the way God blesses you, you would never have to take a special offering for anything. There would never be any need that would be unmet. It's a promise from God. And it's when they prayed that that sense of stewardship came. And then I want you to notice it says that great grace was on the mold. I love this. This is my favorite description of the New Testament church. And great grace was on them all I believe that you will agree with me that it's something that is incredibly needed in our culture today I'm sure that the cause of Christ has suffered much at the hands of people who are hideously and horribly religious I mean I've seen some things on TV all in the name of Jesus that just made me cringe we haven't been very good About dealing with our culture. We pulled in. I have a friend that I have known for almost 20 years. He's gay. He was a former Nazarene pastor who lost his credentials over sexual orientation and everybody dropped him like a hot potato. I've been working with him for 11 years. I've learned a lot about gays. They don't fit in a neat little category. They're not all like the militant, rebellious ones. Some of them grieve over their sexual orientation. Wondering how in the world it happened. And they don't all fit into that little textbook thing. Like, well, somebody molested them when they were young and then blah, 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 blah. It's not like that. The church of Jesus Christ has done an absolutely miserable job in our culture. Who did Jesus spend his time with? And who got upset about it? The religious leaders. You, you, you got to understand what we're called to do. We're called to go get our hands dirty. We're called to get down into the trenches. See, we want to be like Peter and James and John were up on the Mount Transfiguration when Jesus is glorified and Peter said, Oh, wow, God, this is really cool. Let's just build three tabernacles. One for you, one for Elijah, one for Moses. And then this voice came. This is my beloved son. Listen him. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't stay on the mound. He goes down in the valley. Why? Because there's a need down there. There's a demonized boy. And the disciples can't, they were down there, can't seem to do anything about it. Because they've misunderstood how things work. We need a brand, you know why we need a new infilling of the Holy Spirit? So we'll be sweeter and more gracious and more kind and more compassionate. And get involved in this messed up world. She played the Lord's Prayer a while ago. Offertory. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. That's why we're here. We're supposed to be helping God bring his will on this earth to be done like it is in heaven, we're, we're not supposed to be cloistered in these little holy clubs, singing songs. I mean, it's, it's okay to be here. But we come here to receive new courage and strength and grace and obedience and love and understanding so we can go out there where they are to do a work. Much grace was on them all. Oh, oh how attractive Jesus was. Now, Isaiah tells us over in that 53rd chapter that Jesus did not have some smashing physical anatomy. He said there was no form or comeliness that we should desire him. May I remind you that after three and a half years of public ministry, it took one of his own disciples to pick him out of a crowd of eleven in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it wasn't because it was dark when that mob came with those torches. They lit that thing up like a Walmart parking lot. Jesus was just so ordinary. And yet mothers had a hard time keeping babies on their lap. And little children were attracted to him. Why? Because there was something beautiful about him. The Apostle Paul was attractive. Now, they tell me that the average Jew in Jesus day was about five feet four inches tall, and that helps me a lot. (laughs) But Paul had a disease and a lot of Bible scholars think it was an eye disease that was very prevalent in the Mediterranean at that time. And, and it made you squint with light. Your eyes were very sensitive to light. And you know, I mean, you think I teach and preach a long time. It was midnight when Eutychus fell out of the window and broke his neck. And Paul went down and, and, and raised him from the dead and forgave him for interrupting the service and then preached till daylight. <laughs> that was not a Nazarene service. I mean, at quarter till twelve, you can hear the keys start jingling. We've got to beat the Baptists to the cafeteria. <laughs> but I read, in his third missionary journey, he's coming back and he stops at Miletus and calls for the elders of Ephesus to come. And in his discourse with them, he says, I know that you will never see my face again. And those grown men and women wept. At the thought of not seeing that little bandy-legged missionary again. Why? Because there was something attractive about him. Because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. There was an anointing on him. There was a radiance, just like Jesus. There was a radiance that came out of his life. The last thing I notice says the place where they were assembled was shaken. Come with me to a little Roman prison in Philippi. Down in the bottom of that jail, and you have to understand thinking about Roman prisons. They were holes dug in the ground. They did not have air conditioning and rec rooms. If you're in the inner prison, it means you're down at the second level, you're at the bottom level. I'm not going to get too graphic here, but you understand about gravity, don't you? And what happens? So they're down in that rat infested, stinking thing, and to add insult to injury because they've been beaten with 39 stripes, their feet are in stocks. If ever two Christians had a right to have a pity party, it's Paul and Silas. But they don't. I think they prayed. And sometimes when you really pray, you'll just break into a song. I don't know what they sang. Probably one of the Psalms. But I like to think it was something like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see it. And so I was thinking, well, I'm not going to let him sing all by himself. So now they got a duet going. Too many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. His grace has led me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And God's listening. He listens. And He says to run the angels, You hear that? They're praising me down there, but it's kind of muffled. Would you go down and blow both ends out of jail so I can hear it in the stereo? And the angel of the Lord came down and shook that jail like a cracker box and, and, and the shackles fell off and the doors flew open and a Philippian jailer came f- flying through the door saying, sir, what must I do to be saved? Do you ever get hungry to see people so hungry for God you don't have to sing nine verses of the invitation hymn? Real prayer shakes things. You can pray a hunger on this city. God taught us how to pray a hunger on our city. And, and one Monday morning, we'd been into that months, and one Monday morning I did a funeral and I crawled in the hearse after officiating at the funeral to go to the cemetery and the driver of the hearse was a, a deacon in the Baptist church and he said to me, Pastor he said, I, I saw something last night that I haven't seen in 15 years in our church. And I said, What happened? He said, well, Pastor preached an evangelistic sermon last night and 15 people responded to Jesus. He said, I've been in this church for 15 years and I haven't seen 15 people respond. And I said, thank you, Jesus. They're getting hungry everywhere. They're getting hungry. Real prayer shakes things. Now, you know what we need this morning? We need a brand new infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we really need to be made beautiful. Our world is hungry to see real Christians, real disciples of Jesus. I've quit using the word Christian. Because I told you the other day, the most intense vivid research there's only 22 million people in this whole country who really are disciples of Jesus Christ who believe in the virgin birth who believe the Bible is the infallible word of God who believe that you have to repent or you're going to go to hell and believe that hell is a real place 22 million of us you could put us all in the state of New York But if you know anything about your Bible, you know that's enough to turn this world upside down. And so I want you to stand with me. And I just believe that some of you are being spoken to by the Holy Spirit. And some of us need to have a fresh anointing with God to to carry on. So so we have totally different motives for why we do what we do rather than the fact that it's just we know how to do church. Some of us need a brand new understanding of stewardship. Some of us need courage. We're faced with some really challenging, difficult things. We need courage. Some of you need to come and say, Oh God, I need for you to fill me with a new power and a new anointing to face what I'm faced with. so I'm going to pray a simple little prayer and she's going to play something over there and you may not physically be able to kneel but you could come and sit on the front seat that'd be perfectly in order and pastor's moving his bible and I'm getting ready to go move mine I've been here several times But I don't believe that I have come at a more significant time than this weekend. I believe God wants to shake this place and this city. And He wants to use you. So let's pray together for a moment. Father God, this is your part of the service. It's all been yours. And we have worshipped and I have sensed your Holy Spirit here from the very beginning. But now we need Him. At a greater level than ever, ever before. And you're calling us to a whole new level of obedience and sensitivity to your Spirit. And you're calling us to give up our grudges and to love like you loved and to extend forgiveness so we can have forgiveness. And you're calling on us to surrender who we are and everything that we have because everything we have came from you to begin with. We came out of our mother's womb with absolutely nothing. And we'll go back to you. only with what we've invested in your kingdom and for the redemption of this world. And so we invite the Holy Spirit to come and just walk among us. Move up and down these aisles and in and out of these rows and find us where we are. Some of us need to surrender to become new intercessors for your kingdom to bring power and anointing on those who are laboring in the vineyard. so I pray that you would come and we would be sensitive to hear your voice. We wouldn't worry about whether anybody else responds or not. We would just hear you call. Can I count on you? Are you all in with what I want to do? Can I have you? And can I have everything that I've given to you? And I pray that our answer will be a resounding yes, Lord, count me in. We ask this for the advancement of your kingdom. This altar's open, some have already come. The front seats make a great place to pray. Would you play something for us, please? And just do what God asks you to do this morning. there's already been a beautiful spirit of obedience and and you're getting to know me you know that I never unnecessarily prolong this part of the service because I just have so much respect for you and your right to choose You, you might not even be a Christian you may not have even ever given your heart to Jesus this can be for you too and I'm going to make an offer to you And and she's going to play through that another time or two. And then we're going to gather and pray with these who come. While she's playing, if God is gracious enough to come up beside you and tug on your heart, but it seems too difficult to come on your own, I want you to turn to somebody close to you. Maybe standing right beside you. Maybe in front of you. Maybe behind you. Maybe even across the aisle. It's not a large sanctuary. And you could just touch him on the arm and whisper to them and say, would you go with me? I really believe they would. And for all you know, God could be speaking to them and they're waiting to get up enough courage to do what your heart is inviting you to do. And you could come together and what a blessing that would be. There's still room on the front seat and there's more room over there on that front seat. We can make an altar out of anywhere. You see, Brother in. I've, I've never come forward in a service like this. I understand that that's new for you. But if you just step out in the aisle, the Holy Spirit will meet you there. And we'll give you the courage to come. And our whole desire is just to pray with you until God satisfies the deepest longing of your heart. So you gather courage from these that have come. We'll wait just a moment longer and then we're going to pray together. And you're being very gracious to wait a few minutes after... 12 while the Holy Spirit works Thank you for being such a gracious audience. If you need to go because of the lateness of the hour, in in a moment I want you to feel free to slip out quietly and reverently. If you'd like to stay and help us with the atmosphere, would would you be seated right there where you are so that you can be comfortable, please, okay? Because what we're doing now is as important as we've done, anything we've done all hour. But I want you to be comfortable. I believe God wants to change not because there's something wrong here but God wants to change and move this fellowship into a new level so that you can be more effective than you've ever, ever been before He can count on you as a battalion of soldiers developing a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit Praying. Fasting when you need to. And by the way, let me say to you that I left my notes on fasting. I didn't have time to teach on that. I left a copy of my notes with Pastor Sid. And so if any of you are interested in that, he has a copy. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, this must be a beautiful scene to your heart. And we acknowledge that we have a new understanding, a new level of what the church is really called to be and what we as individuals are called to be. We fully acknowledge, Father God, we are not able, apart from your anointing, But you promised us. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. And we acknowledge that we need that new level of power. We need some new courage. And some of us need a new sense of stewardship. And we need to surrender to you a little more about the blessings that you've given to us. And so I just pray that your spirit would settle down on us. Oh God, don't ever let us be the same. Move among us. Teach us. We've only begun to learn. Blessed Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. You're the ultimate teacher. Would you continue to teach these men and women? About the kingdom of God and how it works and what power and authority we have been given because of your sacrifice and because of your precious blood and because you crushed the power of the enemy. He's a defeated foe and we have every right to challenge his usurping. He's usurped the throne. He comes as a blood. He comes as a roaring lion. But you have told us, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. I pray you teach us how to use the word of God. To challenge him. To push back the powers of darkness. Our families can be redeemed. Our co-workers can get saved. Our co-workers can be hungry. Our city can have a new form of government. Our churches can burst forth in power and anointing. And I pray for Pastor Sid and Julie, Lord. I thank you for them. You led them here a number of years ago now. And I pray that you would pour out your Spirit on them. That you would give them such an anointing and such power and such wisdom and such grace. And I pray you'd get a hold of the church board in this church and there would be an anointing and there would be power and there would be dreams. And young men would see visions and old men would dream dreams about the possibilities. And I pray that you would shake this place. And You would help us to have eyes to see those who are hungry. To be able to just say a word sometimes when we're checking out at Walmart. To just say a word that might open up a whole conversation. I pray that This tri-prayer thing that Pastor talked about this morning, I pray, God, that you would anoint that. I pray that you would anoint that with incredible power and purpose and meaning. And as we have those little things in our hand and as we hand them out, I pray that there would be an anointing. There would be a gripping of the heart. (laughs) People who have never ever even dreamed about praying a prayer would get so hungry. Oh, God, if you're up there... (laughs) Let me know you. Let me know you. And I pray, Father God, that you would manifest yourself in real, tangible ways. And people would begin to be in awe. We're so casual about you. You are sovereign God. You are awesome. And we need to have a new reverence and a new awe for you. But not a standoffish thing, Lord, but to realize we're we're your sons and daughters. You love us. You break into singing over us. Sometimes when you look down, flawed as we are. And I pray that revival would break out in this place. I pray that in church after church, there would come an awakening. An incredible awakening. There are more people in this city than we can get in all the churches that are built here. We're not in competition with each other. Oh God, help us to get shoulder to shoulder and pull and pray and believe and trust and work. Till your will is done in Longmont as it is in heaven. And I believe you're going to do this. So let me just give you thanks. Let me give you praise. Let me bless your name. You've brought this all about. This whole thing, it came out of your heart. And so you're not going to leave us. You've awakened us. To a new understanding of the kingdom. Now use us, Father God, as soldiers of the cross. To advance your kingdom. We ask it. On the authority that you've given to us. We don't have to ask it in Jesus' name. He said, I give you authority. I give you authority over serpents, over scorpions, over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm you. Because of your great love, we're taking authority over this city. And we believe that revival is going to come. And your glory and your power is going to be manifested. And when those women get together and aspire, there is going to come an anointing greater than the leaders ever imagined could come upon them. I pray that you will begin to pour out the Holy Spirit on every facet of your kingdom. And may great grace rest on us all. Oh God, make us winsome and attractive. Amen. Stay as long as you want. Feel free to get up when you're ready. Thank you for being so obedient to Jesus.